0: First Peter chapter one verses twenty-two through twenty-five will be the reading for this morning, and from which I will preach. First Peter chapter one verses twenty-two through twenty-five. I remind you, this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. It is trustworthy and without error. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls. For a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Let's pray. Father, we ask the, your blessing upon the reading and preaching of your word. We pray that you would grant us understanding, for it is in name, Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen. <clears throat> you know, there are some incredible plants that uh, bear fruit only once per year, uh, once per hundred years. There's one called the century plant. At the end of its Usable life. Uh, it's, it's. I think the Americana uh, agave americana is its more uh, Latin name. But uh, it, at the end of about a hundred years, it, it throws up a twenty-foot stalk and then flowers, dripping nectar all over the place for birds and, and uh, insects to benefit from, and then it is dead for all intents and purposes, and that's the nature of the plant. And it seems to me it's, it's exactly what the What Peter is saying we are like and make no mistake as he quotes Isaiah 40 he's saying this all flesh is like grass and so he's he's looking out upon the congregation to whom he is writing he's thinking of them in his mind's eye and he's thinking of of perhaps a congregation very much like this one and he's saying at least Isaiah was in its original context and he says as he speaks under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit all flesh is like grass have you thought of that this morning, as you woke up and you primped and primed, and you took very good care of yourself? You ate something. You you, you made sure to take uh, some coffee to awaken everything and get you sharp for, for the day. And you you put on your face and you did your hair and you dressed yourself up. Did you think all of this is just like the grass that grows in my yard and it's cut down every week, and then at the end of the summer? Its usable life is finished, it goes into dormancy, or perhaps like my grass in my front yard, it simply dies. Or maybe we have the privilege of being like the Americana agave and we're usable for up to 100 years and we live that long and yet we send up that stalk, we flower wonderfully, and then we're done. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. It's brief. It's quick. It doesn't last long. You look out at your lawn. Sometimes I neglect to cut my lawn for a little while because I've been taught to let it grow and grow high. And so in my backyard, especially I'll let it grow and it will grow and eventually seed. And I love that overseeding. And what, what, what it'll do is it will, it will in fact flower, but the flower is very, very brief. In fact, I barely ever see it. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. Why would Peter quote Isaiah in unfolding to us this text? What he's going to do is he's going to unfold our regeneration, our conversion, being born again. He's going to unfold that and then issue one command, and that command is love one another. And he's going to motivate us to, to love one another on the basis of the brevity of our lives in comparison to the endurance of the Word of God. What is, you may say, well, where is the connection? The connection is found in this way. First, he says, love one another. Love one another. And we'll, we'll, we'll expound upon what that command is. But love one another. Out, since you have in obedience to the truth... Purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. He's tracing this back and he's saying, You can, you must, you will, you will walk in love and therefore love fervently and sincerely without hypocrisy, love one another. Love one another because he's tracing it back, he's tracing it back. If you ever go down to the Connecticut River, what you'll see is various tributaries that will come in from time to time. And as you go down that river, you'll see this river comes in from over there. And over there, there's a stream. And as we go along the mountain face, there is water coming down, streaming down through the bedrock. And all of it feeds into the Connecticut River, which eventually feeds out into the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, of course. And so we look for tributaries. We look for where that water has come from. We look for the source of it. And, and so that's what the Apostle Peter is doing. He's saying, look, you, 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 you have an obligation. Let me tell you. Let me, let me give you a command. Love one another sincerely and without hypocrisy. And you can do this. This is a motivation. It's, it's like watching one of those fat commercials. Well, there's this person, someone is standing in front and, as, a, as a fat person, I, as an overweight person, I would say, or someone who struggles with their weight, I would say, there, there, I, there I see myself in that, in that picture on, on the screen on television, and there's the individual, and, and I'm thinking, well, he's speaking to me, and, and, and there he is, he's speaking, and he's saying, look, this is who I am, and these are the pants I used to wear, and let me tell you, you can do it. You can do it. And the Apostle Paul is doing something like that this morning. And he, he's saying to, to to each of us as Christians, look, you can do this. You can do it. And he's saying, as he traces back this tributary, he'll, he'll trace it back to where its source of life comes from. You have an obedience to the truth purified your souls. Well, that's where it comes from. Christian love a sincere Christian love that men and women and boys and girls have for each other. It comes from that initial purification that comes to us through faith. When you believed in Jesus Christ, you were purified, sanctified, set apart unto God. You became his own and you were set apart for a life of purity and of holiness. It's that holiness that the Apostle Peter has been speaking of thus far throughout, the various, uh, throughout this passage already. The Holy One who has called us, that we are also to be holy in all our behavior. When you came to faith in Christ, you were purified. And when you came in faith and you believed for the first time, after the secret sovereign work of the Holy Spirit regenerating your heart, converting your heart, causing you to be born again. You first your first evangelical act of obedience, the first step you took forward in obeying God and in purifying yourself was to believe in Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter is saying, look, you're under obligation to love your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You can love and you can love because of your first act of believing in Christ since you have an obedience to the truth purified your souls so as we obey the lord and as we walk in that obedience uh, stemming from that first initial act of obedience to believe in god to believe in jesus christ from that has flowed continually day to day small modicum smallest measures of obedience little by little day by day we have learned obedience we have walked in holiness we have obeyed the lord and as we do that, as we do that, we purify our souls. Think about that connection. If you're a Christian this morning, maybe you wonder, how can I live for God in this world? And how can I live in such a way, not only that it's pleasing to him, but that, such that, that I will be purified and flee from the corruption of the world? Open the word of God. Obey the word. Obey the Lord. And this is how he traces it. And this is how he shows us. So there's an initial purification of our souls in the act of obedience. How can, where does that obedience come from? Where does that tributary find its source? Because you've been born again. As he takes it up in verse 23, you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. And how have we been born again? Let's go back a a step further. Where does that regeneration find its source? Where does it come from? How are we regenerated? How do we come to faith in Christ? Through the enduring Word of God. And so that's what he's doing. He's tracing our salvation, our obedience, our purification all the way back. And he finds it to be the source from which it comes is the word of God. So he has a command this morning in this passage, and that command is fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently love one another from the heart. We live in an age where it is confusing as to what the subject of love really means. What is love? We have lots of songs. All you need is love. Love is all you need. Well, define it, Paul and Ringo. What is love? Uh, I hate to offend anyone, but I'm not a big fan of the Beatles at all. Um, But that was a famous song. Love is all you need. Well, how is that helpful unless we define what love is? What is love? I'm all out of love. Love stinks. Burn in love. Love soft as an easy chair. Love ain't like that. Love takes time. There's another song. uh, Don't be stupid. You know that I love you. I I don't even know what that one is, but it's not exactly a very loving statement. What's love got to do with it? Well, if you went searching on the Internet, you'd find if you entered the word love, you'd be in big trouble unless you have a safe search engine on your computer, because love is so misunderstood, love in our age tends to be almost always acquainted or equivocated to the physical act of sexual relationship. Almost always. Almost always. But that is not what love is. Within the context of marital love, it is an outpouring, it is an outflowing of what God has beautifully created for a husband and a wife to enjoy and to express in one way out of many how they love one another. However, about the rest of us, how do we show love to each other? How do we genuinely show love to one another? We've seen where it comes from. If we love one another, it comes from the fact that we have been purified by the word of God, caused to, 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 to be brought to new life. We've been born again through that word. And so the word is our source. I can love you and you can love me without hypocrisy. In other words, without the masks that we create. We put it up on Sunday mornings, this is who I am, this is how I've lived my week, and uh, everything's gone well, and, uh, and life is just fantastic, and let me tell you how to live your life, and I'll straighten you out if you just give me five minutes, and... but that's not, that's not the love that we're talking about here, a sincere love, a maskless love. Love without hypocrisy. The word is explicitly, sincerely in our English Bibles, but explicitly in the Greek it means to be without hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy but to misrepresent? It harkens back to the Greek dramas when actors would put on a mask and they would, they would represent themselves as another character, someone altogether different than themselves. So without that, So in other words, don't love like a Hollywood star or starlet. Oh, our generation needs to hear that. That's what we equate love with. The budding romances of deeply privileged people who don't have a clue about what real life is or what real love is. But that's not the case for you, because you have known the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know what love is. You know what love is because of what 1 John chapter 4 tells us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love is from God. In other words, the rest of the world has no inkling of what genuine love is. Except for you and for me, because we've been brought to life through the Word of God. And now because of that fact, we have been regenerated, we are born again, We now know what love is. That means you can love your spouse with true and sincere love. That means you can love your fellow pew sitter, your brothers and sisters in Christ with genuine love without hypocrisy. For love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love but make sure you didn't miss that. The one that does not love is not from God. If you find, if you look, if you find, if you look at your heart this morning, you look through the course of your life and your, your Christianity, your embrace of the faith, and you realize, I'm not a very loving person. If you can say that with truth and sincerity, we need to question whether or not you're born of God. If you can look at your life and say, I, I, I don't really have any actual physical expressions of love to my brother's and sisters in Christ. When I meet on Sundays, I don't kiss anyone. I don't, I don't hug anyone. Of course, I'm not calling for opposite sex kisses, but the Bible does speak of greet one another with a holy kiss. And so we live in the times in which we live. Uh, there is such a thing as a holy hug. Greet one another with a, a holy, in some way, Embrace or physical affection. We can do it with even shaking our hands or a hand on the shoulder. So good to see you. Some genuine expression of physical love, not not something that is that is only earthly, not something that is self gratifying, but real, genuine, not hypocritical love and affection for another individual. If you don't do that, if you can't do that, we have to ask a solid question that you need to come to grips with. Do you know, have you experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus? In other words, the assumption of the entirety of Scripture is that you have experienced the love of God and because God is love, you will love others in full demonstration of genuine faith. And if you don't love others... You may not be a Christian. I'll go on reading in 1 John 4. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. If you have experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus, you will love the brethren. If you do not love the brethren, you have not experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's that simple. But you think about the love of God. What kind of love did God have for us? God loved us and gave himself for us. This is not a sort of cursory kind of love. When someone calls you and asks you for a favor and you say, well, um, I'm willing to help a little bit and it doesn't inconvenience us too much. And so we we go and we spend a little bit of time and all right, we've done it. We've done our, our good errand. We've demonstrated our love. No, God didn't do that. Contemplating the plight of sinful human beings before creation was ever made. God himself says, no, I'll I'll die for them. My beloved son will die for them. I, I had a conversation with some Jehovah's Witnesses the other day. I was there on the highway, there they were at a rest area, and I thought as I got back in my car, oh, what's the point? But, but then I realized the point is to bear witness for Christ and leave the results with him. And so I got out of my car, went back over to them, and, we talked for a few minutes uh, maybe 15 20 minutes and and <clears throat> it's interesting that they're very very slippery uh, they they all the things that I said in Orthodox sense about Christ being uh, not God uh, not a god but uh, but but God the God uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God not a God and they said oh yes that's absolutely what we believe and of course they've that's changed. that's changed. That's that's a newer development over the last 15, 20 years. Uh, as we talked, uh, they went on affirming so much of what I said. And yet I continue to work and continue to go lower and deeper and deeper. And finally I said, and of course, and of course you then believe, and I'm so thrilled to hear that you believe these things. you must also believe that Jesus Christ is of the same substance as the Father. It was the point of differentiation. Oh, we believe he is a spirit. But I pressed a little bit further. Oh, but no, no, no but but he is a created spirit. And God and <clears throat> gave him a body when he became our redeemer. Hold on. That's where we had to find that our difference l- l- lay. Right there where they said, that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is a created spirit. <clears throat> and I said, oh no, that's not possible. He is the eternal Son of God. The, in other words, of the same substance with the Father. Co-equal with the Father, and not a created being. Eternally existing in perfect harmony as the second person of the Trinity with the Father and the Spirit Because if a created being died for our sins, isn't that a lesser expression of the love of God? Should we not then question whether or not God loves us? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Not a created spirit. Not part of the creation. But Himself. For our redemption. You wonder what love is. You've seen it. You've experienced it. You know it. It is washed deeply down into your soul. This love that we are to echo. As we are analogies. We are analogous representations of our God. We are created in the image of God. And so we are to walk in his love. And Peter makes sure to define that love. With clarity. A sincere love and a fervent love. An earnest love and a love without hypocrisy. Peter will mention love, that similar love, again in chapter 4, verse 8, where he says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, if you love each other, if you've experienced the love of God in Christ, you will love one another. And when you sin against one another, which is inevitable within the life of the church, you'll still maintain that love out of a fervent desire to maintain the bond of unity and peace. I find it so disingenuous when godly Christian folk leave churches because they're angry with somebody. Isn't the question really, have you experienced the love of God in Christ? Do you you know the love of God? If you know and have experienced the love of God in Jesus Christ, how can you not willingly, freely, forgive your brother or sister in Jesus Christ? Doesn't Paul write to the church in Corinth and says, you're suing one another in, in, in the secular courts. Rather, be defrauded. Be willing to be defrauded in order to maintain the, the unity and the bond of peace. Love is enabled by the purification of our souls in obeying the truth. And this is a continuation of the subject of holiness we've spoken about in the last few weeks. As we grow in the Word, as the Word of God has its good effect on our soul, we become pure. Inasmuch as you take in the Bible, you will experience purity or purification. Inasmuch as you neglect the Bible and distance yourself from the Word of God and refuse to read it, you'll become more and more corrupted by the world. It's that simple. It's a very simple equation. Take in the Word, purification. Neglect the Word, corruption. Christ didn't come down in this earth to possess our brains with some cold opinions that send down a freezing and benumbing influence into our hearts. Christ was a master of the life and he's the best Christian whose heart beats with the purest pulse towards heaven. That's what Mr. Cudworth says. And so at the commencement of our justification, our purification began. It's a process that began at a specific point in our life when we were born again, and it's ever going on. It is the fountainhead of our continued purification. It is that in which we are washed and purified. We were given the truth, and we obeyed. Your first act of obedience was to believe. The assumption of the Word of God is simply this: that that as we have experienced the Word, as we take in the Word, as we've been given the truth, as we've been born again, we will obey. We will walk in obedience. The truth is kind of like a fermentation; it's, it comes into our soul, soul, our lives, and and it and it transforms. It animates. It it impels us to obedience, and so we we begin to obey. We have we've been saved uh, so that we would uh, not not for ourselves, or to to ourselves and our own priorities, but rather to obedience. We have been saved not on the basis of our obedience, but for obedience. I'm often asked the question, well, how can I know that I'm a Christian? How can I be certain that I'm a Christian? I'm struggling with assurance. Well, let's go to obedience. I'm not talking about how successful you are, but are you striving to obey the Lord? Are you working? Are you are are you bringing in subjection to the word of God the members of your body, the mind that God has given to you, your heart and all your emotions and affections? Are you bringing them under the con, conforming confirming word of God? Are you obeying the Lord? Are you growing in obedience? Do you fall under conviction over sin and do you do you purpose in your heart while well, depending utterly upon God to do it? Lord, I'll I'll stop sinning in this way. Help me. Or in the words of Augustine, O Lord, command your servant, but grant what you command. Give what you command. Only command, but give what you command. If you would know whether or not you're a believer, look over your life. Am I obeying the word of God? Does it concern me when I hear something in the word that pricks my conscience and reminds me that I'm not, that I'm a sinner and that I'm not perfectly keeping the word? Am I reminded, therefore, and moved to greater obedience? Am I drawn in conviction and repentance to the Lord, confessing and dedicating my life to obey him and taking up the word more frequently and faithfully? If you obey the Lord, you'll walk in love with the people of God. Take comfort from the assurance that comes from knowing, yes, I, I do love the body of Christ. I do love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can tolerate, and not just tolerate, but, but still love them despite the ways in which they've offended me, the ways in which their words have hurt and harmed but I've forgiven them because I've been forgiven all of my sins in Christ Jesus. If you can say yes, this is my experience, then surely you've experienced the love of God in Christ. Or rather, do you have the attitude of "I'm going to get, I'm going to get them back"? I'll tell you, as a sinner, that's my first impulse. Not not within the church, not within the church, but out in the worlds. I want retribution. I want immediate justice when I'm offended or hurt. or When someone cuts me off in the car or whatever the minor infraction is, I have a wonderful capacity to forgive, but I can get offended and and bothered over the smallest things on the road and when I drive in my car. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're not like me. You never take offense at anyone. You're never offended by anybody, and you never really react to anything, and you're not interested in retribution. Well, sometimes in my sinful frame, I am. But God forgive me and God help me. When I become aware of it, in the moment I ask the Lord to forgive me and for, to, to, to help me to walk in gentleness and kindness and to be self-controlled. Certainly that has no place within the church and the body of Christ. That those who are loved by God, that I am under holy obligation and divine command to love them. To love my brothers and sisters in Christ what is love is it not as i care for my as I, as i as I move and live within the church is it not just simply to 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 consider others with kind intentions in our minds and our hearts is it not to think in a complimentary way of them without embarrassing them Isn't it to to, to walk in such a way that we we uphold their good name, we we don't speak badly of them, and we don't take offense when they offend us? To refuse to take offense, because we love them. We all know what that's like. We all overlook offenses sometimes with the people that we most love in the world. Well, that's an offensive word, but we let it go, because we love them and we assume, well, they, they didn't mean it. They don't know what they've just said. I love them anyway. There's some hard edges to them, but they are beloved of my heart. Well, here within the community of God's people, that is and must be the motivating principle. I will love them, and I will let nothing get in the way of that love. I will not take offense. If I am deeply offended or I am hurt, I will go to them and say to them, Brother, sister, I love you enough to risk our relationship, to come to you and to say, I've been hurt. I want you to know what that is. But I want to be reconciled to you because I love Christ and Christ has loved me and I'm reconciled to Christ and I'm under obligation to be reconciled to you. Therefore, I love you enough to give you an opportunity to be reconciled to me without holding my holding a grudge against you. Peter is reminding us here of the the love of God, that agape love. That's exactly the word used here. And it it is, it, it refers simply to a generous act of one for the sake of the other. A generous and gracious act of one for the sake of the other. In other words, love is not passive. It's not just something that sits in the background, but it's active. It's always for the other cultivating a life of generosity towards others. And it's most often in Scripture used of a child in the New Testament. And it's a word that's used, this agape love of God's electing love for his people. It's, it's that love. God has done that. He has performed a generous act of giving himself for the sake of sinners who are opposed to him, rebels against him. is reminding us that God would have us cultivate in our lives towards one another a love for each other, generosity and generous acts of love for in the interests of the other person. The world tells us that love is all about what I want, what I need, and I need to get my needs met. Worldly love says put yourself first. Self-care is the most important thing. This last week we all witnessed that, uh, at least hopefully we are aware, at least in some sense of what's going on around us, but many of us are aware of Alec Murdoch in his killing, murdering of his wife and son. Clearly the man did it. And in the closing arguments, one of the prosecuting attorneys said You've heard, jurors, you've heard that Alec Murdoch loved his family and loved and adored his wife and his son. But I'm here to tell you today, he didn't love them both, not nearly as much as he loved himself. That's the truest thing I heard. His self-love led him to murder his wife and his son. Self-love, it is an extraordinary beast. I don't need to teach you, no one needs to teach you how to self-love. We all know how to love ourselves. The trouble is that we love ourselves too much. What we need to learn is how to love one another. And Jesus said explicitly, the great commands are, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, In other words, I'm under obligation before God to love you, each of you, all of you, all of the body of Christ, as much as I love myself. And if I'm honest, I love myself immensely, as all of us do. And so I must love in that way. And so Peter is saying love, love out of that purity of God's agape love that he has for his own. Love one another because you love God, because you've experienced the word of God, because you've been brought to new life and you've been born again. And because it is an evidence of the fact that you love him. If you love him, you will love one another. Peter says that Christ is our pattern. He died leaving us an example so that we would follow in his steps. His disciples were offensive, blustering sort of people, some of them, asking extraordinary things of him that, that were ridiculous and misguided. And in the end, <clears throat> when he needed them most, they all left. And yet he loved them. He loved them to the last. He loved them to the end. And he loved them beyond the grave. And he forgave Peter. And he restored Peter. Let's follow Christ's example. And truly and genuinely love one another. Would you have a reason for why you should love Christ and why you should love your fellow believers and why this love is something that you're obligated to do for the body of Christ and for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, there are many reasons here within the passage. The reason for the love which is commanded of us in this passage is because you've been born again by the word of God. It behooves us to make a life worthy of our vocation and calling and spiritual regeneration. Faith requires obedience and a way of living must correspond with our new birth. Paul, or Peter, pardon me, makes a contrast between two seeds. a seed which is perishable and a seed which is imperishable. And he says you've been born again with the imperishable seed of the word of God. We're all coming up on spring. Some of us will plant seeds. But most of us will go to the, uh, the hothouse, the greenhouse, and, and we'll buy from the florist or from the, 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 uh, the, the 16 acres up the road, the 16, 16 acres greenhouse, or some other such greenhouse. We'll buy a, a flat with all sorts of nice little pansies and petunias and, and impatiens and all salvia and all sorts of other flowers, and we'll plant them around our homes. And we love those flowers. But do you know they came from a seed? What happened was a tiniest little seed was was implanted into the dirt and it was watered and the sun was was it was exposed to the sunlight and eventually it germinated. That seed died. And in the death of that seed, life sprung forth. And now this wonderful plant is there for you to put into the ground. That's a seed that dies. And so you put the seed into the ground. You can never use that seed again. It's dead. plant comes out of it, but that's not the seed. The seed died. Well, Peter says, the seed which is planted in you will never die. It is imperishable. Of course, Romans 8 affirms that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that faith cannot be taken from you. You cannot be snatched out of the hands of God. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Height nor depth, depth nor death nor, nor, nor any other created thing under all of creation can keep you from or take you from the Lord's hands. <clears throat> Peter. Peter says that there are essentially two births, physical and spiritual. And until we come face to face with the reality that we are dead and we are lost in our sins and trespasses and we are foreign to the love of God, we have not experienced that love of God unless we are in Christ, unless we have believed in Christ, unless Christ is our Savior and our Redeemer. Jesus himself said in John 3 that man is wholly alienated from the kingdom of God. You can talk about your privileges, you can talk about who you are and who other what, what other people have said about you. None of it matters at all. In the great day of judgment, either you are known because Christ has loved you and died for you, and you have believed in him, or the Lord will say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. You could have received the adulation of mankind. You could have been written up in the newspaper. You could have been placed on, 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 on sideboards next to the highway. You could have been on television. People could have praised you from one end of the earth and told you what a great saint you are. None of it matters. All that matters is whether or not Jesus Christ has died for your sins. And the only way that is true and received by you is through faith in him. And you must come to the recognition of the fact that you have sinned grievously against God. You deserve his wrath and curse. But That Christ took that wrath and absorbed that curse and was cursed in your place on that cursed cross. You must be born again. You are nothing but a wretched creature until you are born again. You are an earthly, fading, empty creature, like the grass that grows in your yard and yields its fruit, but dies, or bears fruit and flower, but dies the next morning. That's what you are. Unless you are in Christ today, you are you are flesh, and your flesh is like grass. And its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. Unless the living and abiding Word of God is enduring in you, you are nothing more than that grass. And you too will wither and die off and disappear from this world. You must not hope in the perishable seed of your flesh. You must hope in the imperishable seed of the word of God, which is ever living and abiding, washing and cleansing. And it is through which we have been born again. You must be born again. If you are not born again through faith in Jesus Christ and the word of God taking up residence in your life and changing, redeeming, reforming and converting you through the power of the Holy Spirit, then you are nothing but Exactly what Isaiah says in verse 24 and 25. Grass, the flower of grass that withers and falls off. That is what flesh is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The word of God is abiding and living. It has confounded critics for 3,500 years it's true. Emperor Diocletian tried to eradicate it in the Roman Empire in 303 AD. He proclaimed that an edict requiring Christians to destroy their Bibles, well, didn't happen. Within 25 years, the next emperor required that 50 copies would be made and distributed at government expense. Atheists have tried to stamp it out. The claims of Voltaire, the French atheist in 1778, he boasted that within 100 years of his lifetime, Christianity would be swept from the earth. Voltaire is swept from the earth like flesh, which is like grass, which fades. Is the word of God still abounding in our world? Yes, indeed it is. Even politicians think it's a great thing to quote the Bible. They misquote, they screw it up every time, but the truth is, the Bible still lives, is active and ever-present in our world, because it is is not of perishable seed, but it is of imperishable seed. Fifty years after Voltaire's death, his his own printing press and his own house were being used by the Geneva Bible Society to produce Bibles. As recently as 1899, Robert Ingersoll said, in 25 years, the Bible will be a forgotten book. Well, it never happened. Well, the Bible is an imperishable seed from God, and it is still bearing fruit in the lives of all those who come to it and believe in it. May God be pleased to continue to enable us to love one another, because Despite the fact that we are grass, and the grass withers, and the flower fades, the word of God abides and endures forever. And if the word of God abides and endures in you, then God will cause you to bear much fruit. And you will walk in love with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this word is the gospel which was preached to you. May God help us, therefore, to not only believe the word we have heard, but also to love one another as a natural, fruitful outpouring of the imperishable word. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks to you for your word this morning and ask that you would help us to live in such a way that is pleasing to you. Help us to bear fruit, even though we are grass, even though we wither, even though our flower falls off. Surely, O God, we find this to be true in our physical bodies. We are fast fading. And yet, if the word of God abides in us, if we have believed that word, we will endure. Our soul will live. Our body will one day be raised up from the grave. And we will be with the Lord. Oh God, you are a God worthy of being praised. We praise you. We honor you. We glorify you. We delight in you. We love you. Because you have first loved us. In Jesus, in his name, amen.